0: Well, we are in the book of Esther this morning, so grab your Bible and you can open to Esther chapter 9. If you're newer to the church, I'm Pastor Ryan, I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, typically Pastor Jeff is the one preaching, but uh, he had some vacation days to use up this last week, so he took vacation and I get to finish up Esther, so... That's good, and I've been, uh, over the last year, working on uh, getting through this book and we're we're to the end, so um, we're going to read, starting in uh, Esther chapter 9, verse 20, we're going to go through the end of the chapter and then we'll uh, circle back and, and look at some details and, and see what the Lord has for us this morning, so... Will you read with me Esther chapter 9, starting in verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month, Adar, and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies And as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term poor. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened, Happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed in their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them. And as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their feasts and their lamenting, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. And thus ends the book of Esther. But before we look at it carefully let's pray. God I do thank you for your word. I do thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to to look into some of the details of what you did for the people of Israel. And Lord, I hope that as we look at the specifics of their deliverance that we will be impressed with your sovereignty and your grace and your love for those who you call your own. And Lord, we thank you that we have that privilege through Christ to be called your sons and daughters and to be forgiven through his blood shed on the cross and to be a part of your family. Lord, you are sovereign over all. And even when it seems like you can't be seen, we can trust that you are still at work. Lord, I hope that you will use my words this morning, that you will lead me through your spirit, and that you will open our hearts and minds to worship you and to praise you, for you are worthy. We ask this in your name, amen. Well, I've said this a couple times, but this is the end of Esther. (laughs) And kind of the the theme that uh, we've been working with in the whole book of Esther is up here on the wall, veiled sovereignty. And it's the idea that God is sovereign. He is powerful. He is in control of everything. And yet, when we come to the book of Esther, uh, we see his sovereignty throughout it, but it's, it's veiled. It's hidden. Uh, and the main reason we say that is because God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Um, we don't see his name. We don't see the people specifically praying to God. We don't uh, have any of the things that happen in this book directly attributed to God, and yet, without God, how in the world would this have happened and so we have this this weird uh, set of circumstances where really you could be tempted to say, "Well, boy, that worked out well. that was a good coincidence. But for those who put their faith in God, who trust in Him and who have read the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament, that seems kind of silly. It seems like you can't read this book of the Bible and go, oh, well, that was interesting, that was good that, uh, that Esther was in the place that she was, that Mordecai had the place that he did, that, you know, things just worked out. No, it... It's not like that. God is at work in all of the details here in the book of Esther. And, you know, sometimes it's tempting for us in in our own lives to go through a day or a week or a month and get to the end of it and go, where was God? (laughs) Was he there? Because it seems like this was just a regular day or it seems like this was just a regular week or it seems like this was just a regular month. And the temptation that we have when we read Esther is the same temptation that we have with our lives. Are we going to read Esther and just go, oh, God wasn't in it? And are we going to look at our lives and live our lives and go, oh, well, God's not in it? Well, no, don't do that. We ought to be living every day, every week, and every month looking for God at work, because he is at work. Sometimes it seems like it's hard to see, but he's there, and he's working. So one of the main purposes of the book of Esther is to see God's sovereignty and his work on behalf of the Jews, even though he's not specifically mentioned, The celebration of Purim that we're going to be looking at here in some detail is uh, an excellent opportunity to, to put this purpose to the test because unfortunately, Purim for a lot of Jewish people has just become a holiday. It's a couple of days marked out on the calendar where they get to celebrate, where they get to take work off and then get together with friends and drink and be merry and wear costumes and do all sorts of stuff. But is that all that it is? Is it just another holiday? Is it just a reason to get together and party? Well, hopefully, as we look through this, we'll see that it's, it's not just a party. There's, there's a lot going on behind it. Let me ask you a question here. How many of you remember what happened on September 11th, 2001? I do. Does anybody remember the slogan that came from that day? I heard some mumbles. What was it? We We will remember or never forget. There were kind of a couple of different takes on it, never forget. Did you forget? Hopefully not. I remember I was in college and uh, it, was, it was a weird day. Uh, I woke up, I went to class, and I came back from class and everybody was huddled around the TV in our dorm room and I'm like, what's going on? Come here, you gotta see this. And I saw the planes hit the buildings, and I saw the planes or the buildings go down, and it was weird. (laughs) It was surreal. And the year after, September 11th, 2002, I remember days up to that going, wow, that was just a year ago. But now we're coming up on this year, 2021, will be the 20th anniversary of that. And I have to confess that this year, on September 11th, I wasn't thinking about it days beforehand. In fact, I went through pretty much my whole day until like in the afternoon, where I was online and I saw something that reminded me, and I went, Oh my goodness, today's September 11th. And it kind of hit me again. The significance of that day, but I was just going through another day. Never forget. Well, I almost forgot. (laughs) We need reminders because we are forgetful people, and that just tends to happen. We forget things, even really. Significant things. Confession time. Guys, you may know where I'm going. How many of you have forgotten your anniversary? Nobody raised their hand. Hmm, interesting. Next week we'll be talking about lying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we need reminders because even really significant things we tend to forget. Um, And what we're going to see here in the book of Esther in chapter 9, this this celebration of Purim, I'm going to say that wrong, Purim, um, this is a reminder for the people of Israel, for the Jews. This is something that... uh, they have established in their calendar to remind them every single year. But it's not just like, hey, remember to party. This is, hey, remember what God did on this day. That's what it should be. That's not what it's turned into, but that's what it should be. For the sermon today, the, the main point that I kind of want to get across is just that we would remember and celebrate God's goodness in saving us from our greatest enemy. So if you want to write that down as a main point, remember and celebrate God's goodness in saving us from our greatest enemy. The the circumstances here in Esther are of salvation, they're of redemption. And these are specific instances where God saved his people from a plot that was going to exterminate them. Well, the application for us is that we would remember and celebrate God's goodness in saving us from our greatest enemy. And I have three simple points. Uh, First point is a reason to celebrate. Second point would be Uh, A commitment to remember. And the third point is the God who delivers. And I'll repeat those as we get to them. So the first point, a reason to celebrate. Why are they celebrating? What is this thing called uh, Purim? Well, we have two uh, good summaries of what has happened in the book of Esther. If you look first at uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Why the celebration of Purim? Because, as this says, this month was supposed to be a really bad month for the Jews. If you remember back to uh, the beginning uh, chapters of Esther, this guy Haman was offended by Mordecai, and as retaliation, he decided, I'm going to exterminate the Jews. I hate these guys. I hate Mordecai, and I hate his people, and they need to be gone. And so he issued a decree that On a certain day, all the Jews were free game, basically. You could go, you could kill, you could destroy, and you could take all of their possessions for yourself. And the way that they determined which day this was going to be is that they cast lots. Uh, The second summary of what has happened, uh, we see in verse 24 and 25, look there, For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadotha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. So he had had this plan to destroy the Jews, but he was like, when should we do it? Well, let's cast lots. And I don't know if he rolled dice or if he drew straws or if he just flipped through the calendar and went, "Uh, this day. It was something like that, though, and he cast lots to decide when this was going to happen, and it just so happened that it was about 11 months away from when this decree was issued. Verse 25, but when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Now, when it says that it came before the king, uh, if you remember, when Haman made this decree, he brought it before the king, and the king said, "Eh, sounds good, and he gave him his signet ring. But the second time it came before the king, it was in a little bit of a different way. If you remember, it was at a dinner party that Esther had planned for the king and Haman, and basically, Esther... Uh, told the king, there's somebody who wants to kill me. And not only me, but they want to kill all of my people. And king, if it were just that we were going to be enslaved, or if it were just, you know, something less than extermination, I wouldn't even bring this to you, but it is extermination, and so I'm saying something. And King Ahasuerus is like, well, who in the world would do such a thing? It's Haman. And that time that his plot, that his decree was brought before the king, didn't go so well for Haman. And in fact, we see that at that point, when it was brought before the king, the king made some drastic changes. Number one, he killed Haman pretty much immediately. His sons were still alive and there was still time because then uh, Esther and Mordecai made a, a counter decree that reversed all of the things that, that Haman had plotted, reversed those things so that the month on which they were supposed to be exterminated, they were actually saved from their enemies. Because the second decree gave the, the Jewish people uh, the opportunity to defend themselves, so they gathered together, and the enemies, those who hated them, came, came against them anyways, trying to kill them, but the Jews defended themselves and killed their, their enemies. So the result was a huge reversal. They were supposed to be exterminated, and yet at the end of the day, all of their enemies were, were gone. And we even saw how uh, a lot of the people in the kingdom came to help the Jews. They saw the the injustice and they, they saw their friends there who were scheduled for termination and they said, no, this isn't how it should be. And so they went to help the Jews. So this tragedy, this horrific thing that was planned for the Jews totally got flipped around. So that it was, it was almost to their salvation. <laughs> they didn't have anyone opposing them for a long time in the kingdom. So, is that reason to celebrate? Yeah, I think so. And we see at the end of um, uh, the account of, of this uh, day and how the events actually uh, came out, we see that people just kind of spontaneously start to celebrate uh, in chapter nine, verse thirteen through fifteen, it, it talks about how they just uh, started feasting and how they were they were you know having a great time because they were delivered. And Mordecai uh sees this and goes, "You know what? this ought to be something that we do continually." So in verse sixteen, Um, or in verse uh, 20, excuse me, Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Hazarius, both near near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same year by year. So he's saying basically like, yeah, the celebrating, this is good. We should keep this going. And he is obliging the people to keep on doing this. And the people go, well, yeah, of course. Let's do this because this is definitely reason to celebrate. Now, it's interesting, you know, we have this example of God turning a bad situation into a good situation, but this isn't the first time that we've seen this. If you read through the Old Testament, that's what God constantly does. He takes really bad situations and turns them around for good. He did that for Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, imprisoned. All of these bad things. And yet, was it really bad? We see in Genesis chapter 50 verse 19 says this, Joseph said to them, his brothers, "Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God took some really bad circumstances in Joseph's life and turned them around for good. He did that for the Jews when he brought them out of slavery. They were in a really bad situation. And yet, he used that, he used Pharaoh even to create this situation where the, where the Israelites left, the Egyptians were so eager to get them out of there that they, they gave them gifts and helped them on their way into a promised land, back to where they should be. Bad situation turned into good. He did that for David when he was fighting against Goliath. That was a bad situation. You got scrawny little David, And huge Goliath, and there's no way that he should have won. Was that David's skill that won the day? Or was that God at work? I think it was God at work. And this is what God does He did it for Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. She was about to die, she had no food, and yet God provided. Read the Old Testament. You see it over and over and over again. This is how God works. He takes really bad circumstances and turns them around for good. And God took a hopeless situation for the Jews here and and He worked it out for deliverance instead of extermination. And He did it through means that seemed bad. Esther, her whole situation of being taken from her family and brought into the king's harem, not the best situation, and yet it was exactly where she needed to be. Over and over again, God takes bad and turns it for good. And that is reason to celebrate. And in an ultimate sense, That's what we ought to be celebrating. Because for us, personally, there's some really bad news, isn't there? I mean, the really bad news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And not only that, but the wages of sin is death. So we are under this sentence of death because of our sin before God And that is the worst news ever because literally the consequences of that are eternal separation, eternal damnation, eternal punishment, and it doesn't get any worse. And sometimes I I think we just forget how bad that really is. I know I forget it, And I need to be reminded. Because as humans, we forget. And we need remembrances. But praise God, just like here in Esther, how their horrible situation was turned around for good, through the cross, through Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, we can be saved. And it's simply by putting faith in Christ that that sentence of death turns into a gift of life. Amen? Amen. What better news do we have? What better reason to celebrate? Right? And in a small way, this salvation through Christ is pictured here in this turnaround for the Jews. And it's reason to celebrate. Well, point number two is uh, a commitment to remember. We see uh, in in several ways the people here commit to never forgetting. And it's interesting. This happened about 2,500 years ago. (laughs) Let that sink in for a second. 2,500 years. That's a long time. And yet, if you look at a calendar, especially if it's a calendar with Jewish holidays, you see it. Purim. This year, it's February 25th and 26th. And they still celebrate. They committed themselves. They said, we will not forget. And for those who who uh, celebrate the day according to what the Bible says, they they don't forget. Now I say that because the holiday has kind of eh, deteriorated a little bit depending on who you talk to. Um, Many people who would say that they are Jews see it as kind of a a Jewish Halloween. Um, There's an actress, Mayim Bialik, probably say that wrong, she was Blossom. Some of you remember her. Um, She's a Jew, practicing Jew, and and she describes it as the Jewish Halloween. It's a time to get together and party and dress up. And She even uh, says, hey, we're commanded to get drunk on this day. Like, woohoo, party. (laughs) And and there's no real celebration of God or or what he's done. I mean, the the holiday in itself has kind of uh, deteriorated a little bit, but... Hey, we have the Easter bunny, so, (laughs) I mean, are we much better? (laughs) There there is a deterioration, and yet there are still those who faithfully uh, celebrate this holiday and do remember the truths that that it portrays of God being a deliverer, of God saving His people. In fact, one of the things that that you are commanded to do according to uh, uh, Jewish law is you're commanded to hear the book of Esther read two times. Once on the evening when Purim starts and once in the morning uh, the next morning. You're commanded to sit and listen to the whole thing and remember. And it's... uh, Kind of funny, they have those little uh, spinny things, they're little ratchets, noisemakers, and every time uh, Haman's name is mentioned, they stomp their feet and they spin those things to to indicate Haman's the bad guy, like we want him gone. Um, And there's some really, you know, interesting things about the holiday that you can look up. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but uh, this is, this is something that um, the people uh, said, hey, we're, we're going to do this. If you look at verse 28, uh, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. And it hasn't. The reason for celebrating is, is God is the deliverer, and the Jews have, have been faithful to remember. The only sad thing is that for many Orthodox Jews, for many Jews who um, hold to just the, <laughs> the Old Testament as, as being um, their Bible, who don't see Jesus as the Messiah, they're missing out. <laughs> they're missing out on, on the fact that this celebration that they're committed to is, is just another pointer to the ultimate salvation that God gives us in Christ. How are they supposed to celebrate? Well, They celebrate by, by eating, by feasting, by giving gifts of food to each other, and by giving to the poor. Uh, Eating and celebrating is something that uh, the Bible talks about a lot, and it, it's not an opportunity for gluttony. Unfortunately, some people have turned it this day into that, but the, the reason for feasting is to realize the goodness of God, to see his provision, and to see that in a very tangible way through having a good meal. We've adopted this in our celebration of Thanksgiving. What do we do? We get together and we have a good meal. Now, some of us may turn that into a chance for gluttony. Don't do that. <laughs> it, it should be an opportunity to recognize the goodness of God and to give thanks. And this is the same thing here with Purim. They, they are supposed to feast and be glad. They're also supposed to send gifts of food to one another. And this, again, is just a, an indication of the goodness of God, that he gives freely, to others. And they're supposed to give gifts to the poor. And I think that this is a a particularly interesting aspect of the celebration of of Purim uh, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, even though Purim is a celebration for the Jewish people, giving gifts to the poor is a reminder that the Jews are not the only ones that God cares about. It would have been tempting for the Jews to be proud and to be arrogant during this holiday, uh, but giving gifts to the poor was a way to help them remember that God cares for more than just them. Yes, they were God's people, but they were meant to be a blessing to the nations around them. We see that uh, when God talks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, after Abraham uh, is faithful in offering Isaac, and then um, God provides a substitute for Isaac, and God is blessing Abraham in Genesis 22:17 through18, and he says, "I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." From the start of the nation, Abraham, he, he was meant to be a blessing to the nations. And ultimately, uh, this points to the fact that all nations will be blessed by his seed someday. And that seed is Christ. And this, this act of giving to the poor during this celebration, I think, is, is meant to keep the Jews humble. And to help them realize that there, there's... There's more out there than us. A second thing that I think is important about this idea of giving gifts during Purim is that um, giving gifts to the poor reminds the Israelites that it was only because of God's grace that they were chosen. One of the things that the Jews struggled with constantly was pride. Starting to think, oh, we're special." because we're the people of God. And it would be tempting for them to think that God chose them because they were the best nation on earth, because they were the most prosperous and the most wealthy and the most intelligent and the prettiest. But is that why God chose them? No, it's not. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 through 8 says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's not because of the greatness of Israel that God showed his special love and grace to them. It was because God is especially loving and graceful. And he chose the Israelites. And so for the Israelites to give to the needy on this holiday as they're celebrating their deliverance, it should remind them that there's more to this earth than just them. It should humble them. It should remind them that uh, they too need to have the love and grace of God, and give to those who are in need. And give freely. This is something that, that we could take and use for ourselves. During Christmas time, I'm sure we gave gifts to our loved ones, but did we give to those around us who are in need? It's a great opportunity. I think it's a good example. It's a good application. In fact, we have a a New Testament example where the people really should have had this uh, attitude ingrained in them, but they didn't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul devotes a, a good chunk of verses to admonishing the Corinthians for the way that they were celebrating the Lord's table because they were coming together, a celebration of, of what Jesus did for us on the cross and what was happening. Well, some were coming with plenty of food and wine and they were eating and drinking and having a great time. And, but then they were sitting right next to someone who had literally nothing or barely anything. And Paul is saying, what in the world is going on here? You ought to be looking towards the needs of others and not just coming and celebrating the Lord's Supper to make much of yourself. It's not a time for that. It's a time to look to others, but more importantly, it's a time for you to look to what the Lord has done for you through Christ. So take your eyes off of yourself, humble yourself, And celebrate in a way that is honoring to the Lord. So this is how they were committing to celebrate this this holiday of Purim. They were going to to feast. They were going to give gifts to others. They were going to uh, help the poor among them. And it was a a good way to celebrate what God had done. Well, that brings us to uh, a last point. And... Uh, this is really getting at the the whole reason behind this celebration. Point number three, the God who delivers. Why are they even celebrating this? Why have they committed to do this forever and ever? And why have they been doing this uh, celebration of Purim for the last 2,500 years? Was it because of the greatness of Esther and Mordecai? because of how smart they were? Well, unfortunately, that's kind of common lore for a lot of people is that, hey, Mordecai and Esther were were in the right place at the right time, they had the right plan, and they saved the people of, of Israel. The Jews won the day. And that's part of it. But is that it? You know, this idea of veiled sovereignty. Unfortunately, God's sovereignty is veiled in all of this to a lot of people. They don't see it. They just see human achievement. They see the Jews conquering their enemies. They see Esther and Mordecai, and that's it. But that's not it. The real reason to celebrate is the God who delivers, is behind all of this. And he's sovereignly working in what has happened, and that's the reason to celebrate. Well, there's a lot more detail that we could go through, and I know this has been kind of a, a brief overview, but I just want to kind of get to uh, wrapping up with a couple of ways that, that we can apply this idea of, of Purim and, and celebrating uh, what God has done. Why do we celebrate things? Well, there's a, a couple of really good reasons that, that we should celebrate different events, remember different things. And, and number one is to worship. Remembering is a way for us to worship God. So is it a bad thing to celebrate Christmas? No, I don't think so because it's a way for us to worship God and and thank him for the birth of his son. Is it bad for us to celebrate Easter? No, I don't think so. It's a way for us to worship and remember the resurrection of Christ. Is it bad for us to celebrate St. Patrick's Day? That one might be a little bit more of a stretch, but (laughs) you can celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and thank God for for what he's done. You know, some of these holidays don't have particularly uh, (laughs) religious reasons for them, but we can turn those opportunities into uh, chances for us to worship God. And that's okay. That's good, in fact. It's good for us to remember. It's good for us to celebrate and to worship God by remembering who he is and what he's done. Why else do we celebrate? To express ourselves. You know, uh, the people just kind of spontaneously started celebrating and, and, and feasting because of what had happened. It was an expression of emotion. It was a a relief. It was, ah, praise God, (laughs) we're alive. And that ought to be an aspect of our worship and of our celebration, too, is that we actually uh, express our emotions, our our thanks, that we participate in in something bigger than ourselves. You know, thinking about Christmas, um, we just celebrated it, and it really is cool that we get to take a day where, yes, we bless each other with gifts and we have food and all this, but where we remember that Jesus came to this earth and that we see that we are participants in God's plan. That's an amazing thing. It is reason for us to celebrate, so celebrate. And also, our our celebrations, our our worship, uh, Purim, Christmas, Easter, all of this ought to be a testimony or a witness to those around us, too. We see this in Purim with the giving to the needy. This isn't just, hey, Israel's awesome and we're saved, but it was an opportunity for them to reach out. (laughs) and to give to those in need and to be a witness to those around him that our God saves and he cares about the least and that's why we celebrate. It could be a great witness, a great testimony to those around. So celebrate. It's good. Another application or another uh, thing that, that we can take from this is You know, we've talked a lot about deliverance in this, and and Purim really is a a celebration, a holiday of deliverance and of salvation. And the question is, who are you trusting in for salvation? Because, go back to the bad news, you need to be saved. All of us are born into this world with the problem of sin, and something has to be done about that. And are you going to trust in yourself for salvation? Are you going to just try and do enough good things to kind of balance things out? It doesn't work like that. You can never do enough good to balance the scales. You are born at a deficit, and the expectation from God is perfect holiness. So the best you could ever do is be a flat line in the deficit. That's the best you could ever do. And that's being 100% righteous 100% of the time and you're still guilty. And how many of us are 100% righteous 100% of the time? None of us. So we start going down, 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 down. And the only way To be saved, to be counted righteousness, is through the righteousness offered us through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and through faith in him. If the Jews celebrated Purim and said, Hey, aren't we great? We delivered ourselves. They missed the point. The point is, God delivered them because he is sovereign and he was at work and he is the one to be worshiped. Are you trusting in yourself, or are you trusting in him? And as we look at how the Jews celebrated this uh, holiday of Purim, and still celebrate, um, one thing that, that we can emulate is a celebration of our salvation. But it doesn't have to be just a single day of the year. It can be every day. We can have a celebration of God's deliverance today. Oh wait, isn't that what church is kind of supposed to be? But is it just once a week? First day of the week? No, it can be every day where we celebrate the deliverance and salvation that we have in Christ. Every day, every week, every time we take communion, celebrate that God has delivered us. And last thing that we can uh, take from, from all of this is to remember God's sovereignty. You know, we started with talking the, about the idea of God's veiled sovereignty, and He's still sovereign. Some days it's harder to see that than others. And in some situations it's harder to see that than others. But it doesn't make it untrue. And we have to remember that. If you've put your faith in Christ and if you are saved, hallelujah, God is using every aspect of your life, good, bad, and ugly to conform you into the image of Christ. And that is the ultimate good. And he sovereignly works every aspect of our lives to do that. Amen, praise God, hallelujah, right? But not only that, he's sovereignly working towards the return of his son. Jesus is coming again. And we may look out at the world and things going on and just go, what? Wow. But guess what? He's working. He's still in control. And it's going to happen the way that he's designed it to happen. So we can praise God that his sovereignty was in display in the people of Israel during the time of Esther that led to the celebration of Purim and it's still his sovereignty is is working right now in the year 2021. We don't know, we can't see his plan. We don't know when Jesus is returning but we know that he's promised to do that. And so as we wait, we look And we're hopeful that God is at work in everything that's going on. And we worship him daily and weekly and monthly and on special holidays until he comes. Because he is good and he is God and he is sovereign and he is the one who saves. And it's good for us to remember and to worship him. Because we're prone to forget. And I think that's the point of this celebration of Purim is to remember what the Lord has done. And for us in particular, you know, I said the main point is to remember and to celebrate God's goodness in saving us from our greatest enemy. Let's do that every day. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this chance to be in your word this morning. I thank you for the deliverance and the salvation that you worked through Esther and Mordecai 2,500 years ago. And Lord, I thank you that uh, that your power and that your love and your grace that was on display for them at that time is the same power and love and grace that saves us. None of us are worthy. In fact, Lord, you died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were your enemies. And it is only by your grace that, that we have anything, that we have any hope in you. So we are grateful for that. We are Thankful for your word that points us to the truth of who you are. Lord, help us to live lives of, of worship toward you. Help us to be good witnesses of who you are towards family, towards coworkers, towards everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, we ask this in your name, amen.